You're listening to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. Pastor Mark and Grace Driscoll's new book, Win Your War, looks at how God creates and Satan counterfeits. There's a spiritual attack for your relationship with God, others, yourself, and the church. This is a super biblical and practical book. Order Win Your War today. Well, in a, in a world filled with bad news, occasionally there's good news and it goes viral. That happened recently in the news. I don't know if you saw the story, but there was a, a young man in Texas, a black man who was in his apartment, just living his life normally. And then there was a white female police officer who lived in the same apartment complex. And for some reason, she parked on the wrong floor And when she entered into his apartment, she thought it was hers. She was somehow confused and wrong. While entering into this young man's apartment, she wrongly assumed that there was an intruder in her home. She lived just above him on the next floor. She pulled her gun, opened fire, shot and killed an innocent unarmed man in his home doing nothing that was in any regard criminal. This became a big news story for a number of obvious reasons. It culminated with a highly publicized trial that was covered by the media. They found her guilty of murder. She had a sentence that was given her. And then what was really interesting is that the family and then the judge are given an opportunity to speak, to kind of have the last word, to say what's on their mind. The brother of the man who was murdered uh, was only 18 years of age, this man who was still alive, he stepped forward to speak on behalf of the family. And what he said was unbelievable. He said, I love you. He said, I forgive you. I don't want any bad to come to you. And I want you to meet Jesus Christ and have all of this forgiven. And then he asked, can I give her the murderer of his brother, a hug. And they said, yes. So he comes down and embraces her to love her as they both weep. The judge also was a Christian. And the judge told this to the woman who was headed off to prison. You haven't done so much that you can't be forgiven. You did something bad in a moment of time. What you do now matters. She took, the judge did, her personal Bible and gave it as a gift to the convicted felon and gave her John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, the news picked this up and it went viral because in a world filled with bad news, occasionally there's good news and good news is countercultural. True or false, we live in a world that does bitterness, vengeance, name calling, slander, social media posting, not forgiveness. And when forgiveness happens, it's so countercultural that it still makes the news because it's the best news of all. The forgiveness of sins in the Bible is called the good news. In a world filled with bad news, I have good news, and that is that sin can be forgiven. And here's the thesis for our time together today. There is no relationship without forgiveness. You and I can't have a relationship with God unless he forgives us. We'll talk about that. In addition, we can't have a relationship with one another unless there's forgiveness. 
This is what I tell married couples all the time, especially when I'm officiating weddings. Long before couples fall out of love, they fall out of forgiveness. The forgiveness really, truly, solely allows relationship with God and others to be possible. And this makes sense why Satan would attack forgiveness and relationship with bitterness and brokenness. He doesn't want you to have a healthy relationship with God. He doesn't want you to have a healthy relationship with yourself. He doesn't want you to have a healthy relationship with others. And he doesn't want you to have a healthy relationship with God's people, the church. And those are the four categories that we unpack in the Win Your War book. And under it all, today we're gonna deal with one of the greatest demonic strongholds and footholds. And that is that when hurt people choose to be bitter people. And I'm gonna ask a series of questions. This sermon will be intense. Uh, in the previous sermon, there was like a spirit of fog or fatigue that came over the people. I just encourage you, keep your mind clear. If, if you made it here, Satan wants to make sure that this message doesn't get to your soul. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer for you a lot of the questions that come up when we talk about forgiveness. And the first is, are you forgiven? Are you forgiven? We tend to be keenly aware of all the things that people do against us. And then we tend to overlook what we've done against God. That you and I have sinned against God. This is failure. This is rebellion. This is foolishness. Jesus Christ comes to the earth, the second member of the Trinity, the son of God on a mission of forgiveness. And here is the Lord's prayer. It's the most famous prayer in the history of the world. And Jesus teaches us to pray, okay? If you wanna know how to talk to God, Jesus says, well, this is how you talk to God. Forgive us our sins. Before we deal with their sins, let's deal with our sins. Before we put the binoculars on to look at them, let's put the mirror up to look at us. Forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And I love that here, Jesus connects sin and debt. In the spiritual realm, we have a debt just like in the fiscal, financial, physical realm, we have a debt. Every time we sin or fail, we accrue a debt to God. Sin is debt in a divine account in the presence of God. And then the question is, well, who's gonna pay that debt? This is one thing that the American government has not learned. And that is, if you just keep racking up debt, eventually what? Somebody's gotta pay for it. We rack up debt to God. Religion comes in and gives us a variety of counterfeit ways to have that debt forgiven. Some will say your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds. Others say you need to reincarnate and suffer and pay off your karmic debt. Some say you go to purgatory and suffer for a while until God says you're even. Only Christianity, only Jesus says that someone else pays the price for your debt. That's why we call it the good news. Any of you that had a debt forgiven, that's good news. The greatest debt you have is your debt to God. And Jesus comes to pay that debt. The wage for sin is death. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. That language of, of wage and ransom is that someone pays the debt. And so Jesus tells us we need our debts forgiven and we need to forgive others of their debts to us. 
And so it is both regarding relationship with God and one another. Jesus then lives his life without any sin. He is hated, despised, betrayed, falsely accused, arrested, beaten beyond recognition. And we see him in Luke 23, hanging on a Roman cross, sentenced to a brutal death. And Jesus is going to speak. He says seven things that theologians will call the seven words. This is the very first thing that Jesus says as he is hanging on the cross. Father, what? Forgive them. Jesus, you need to know this, my friend. Jesus starts with forgiveness. He starts with forgiveness. Most religions, well, in fact, all other religions, if there is a concept of forgiveness, it's at the finish line if you make it. With Jesus, it's at the starting line to guarantee you'll make it. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus' first word was forgiveness. He's praying for his enemies. To silence him, a Roman soldier who was executing him took a sponge and shoved it in his mouth. That was part of the field kit that was given to soldiers to go to the bathroom when they were away from the base. So a guy literally takes his toilet brush and shoves it in God's mouth because God is talking about forgiveness and he wants him to shut up and not say those kinds of kind things anymore. At the cross of Jesus, we see how good Jesus is and how bad we are. And then Jesus keeps talking. And one of the things he says with that taste in his mouth, he tells the guy next to him who is very guilty, today, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. This guy is moments from hell. And Jesus says, I'm gonna forgive you. We'll change all of that. He's forgiving all the way to his final breath. And then Jesus died to answer his own prayer. If you're gonna pray for somebody, it may be that something in you needs to die so that you can have a relationship with them. Your bitterness needs to die, your grudge needs to die, your hurt needs to die, your woundedness needs to die so that that relationship can live. Jesus on the cross, this is where it's good news, he took your place and put you in his place. So you're totally, completely forgiven if you belong to him and he was totally condemned and experienced the wrath of God for you. Jesus dies and then three days later he rises because Jesus not only forgives sin, he gives new life. And what we learn from the Bible is that the greatest life is on the other side of the greatest suffering and pain. And something happens if you belong to or believe in Jesus. The apostle Paul speaks of this in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He, that's Jesus, has delivered us. This is a rescue mission from the domain of darkness. This is the demonic, this is the satanic. This is that which is unholy, unhelpful and unclean. This is the rebellion that started with Satan and demons and continues against God. He delivered you from that. What this means is you were born on the wrong side of a war that started in heaven. You were born as captives in war. You were born on the enemy's side of the battle. You belong to the kingdom of darkness. And then if you meet Jesus, 
something amazing happens. You get transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The way that Satan has ownership of you is through sin. You have separated yourself from God and aligned yourself with Satan. When you meet Jesus, he does two things. He changes your relationship with God and he changes your relationship with Satan. I need you to know that both are true. You belong to Satan, now you belong to God. You were part of the darkness, now you're part of the light. You were not forgiven, now you're forgiven. And Jesus changes your relationship, not just with God, but also with Satan. Now, here's my question. Are you forgiven? See, this is the most important decision you can ever make. And that is whether or not you will receive this gift. First 19 years of my life, I had heard about Jesus, but I had not received the gift he gives, the gift of forgiveness, because forgiving is a way of giving. Those who can give can forgive. Those who forgive, give. Jesus gives and Jesus forgives, but you have to receive that gift. Let's say that, because I do love you, let's say I had a gift for you and I, I packaged it up and I paid the price and it's free and clear and it's gonna be on my expense and I give it to you. What do you need to do? You need to receive the gift. You need to open the gift and then you need to use the gift. Forgiveness of sin is like that. Jesus paid in full this gracious opportunity of forgiveness. My question to you is, have you received it? Have you opened it? Are you using it so that you can be forgiven and forgiving? Again, the first 19 years of my life, I heard about this gift. I saw others open it, but I'd never opened it for myself. And then at 19, I realized I need God to forgive me. And I want a relationship with God. And his name is Jesus Christ. And what separates me from God's love is my sin. And if Jesus died for my sin, then I need to receive his gift of forgiveness for my sin. And there was a fundamental eternal shift and change in my soul because I love you and I want good for you. I want Jesus for you, okay? Some of you say, my parents were Christians. Great, what about you? Some of you say, I believe in God. Great, is his name Jesus? Some of you would say, I'm doing my best. And I would say, that's not good enough. Trust the one who did it perfectly. Some of you say, well, I'm trying to right my wrongs. We'll just have them forgiven and get a fresh clean start. So if you have never received Jesus and the forgiveness of sins right now, just literally where you sit, because God knows your heart and God knows your mind. Satan can only hear your words, but God can see your heart. You can just simply say in your mind, in your heart, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I receive your gift of forgiveness. Would you make that decision today? Would you receive that gift today? Would you open that gift today? Would you walk in as an unforgiven person and walk out as a forgiven person? And then everything else will change in your life for all eternity. The most important decision you make is whether or not you receive the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And the most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus Christ. He is a God who loves you. He is a God who forgives you. 
He is a God who saves you. He is a God who blesses you. He is a God that will never leave nor forsake you, amen? And here's what I would say. How many of you have made this decision to receive this gift? Anyone who has made this decision, do you have buyer's remorse? No. I've been doing this a long time. Here's what I can tell you. If you're not a Christian, you're wondering, does Jesus work? Everybody who has walked with Jesus doesn't regret walking with Jesus. I've never met somebody who said, I was condemned, then I was forgiven, and boy, that's discouraging. I've never seen that. I've never seen anyone whom Jesus has chosen and they have chosen to be in relationship with him that regrets it. It's the best decision you can ever make. There's a lot of things that you can put your faith in that aren't going to ultimately save you. If you give yourself and give your sin to Jesus, I'm telling you, Jesus works for everybody every time, amen? And he wants that burden of forgiveness off of you, that shame, that haunting, that condemnation, that confusion. And he wants to make you new and give you a new life. Next question, what does forgiveness mean and not mean? God wants to get your life up and moving toward him. The problem is there's a lot of debris on your runway. We gotta get the debris off the runway before we can get the plane in the air. I'm gonna deal with what forgiveness is and is not. And in so doing, I wanna identify oftentimes the things that get on the runway so that people can't move forward with the life that God intends for them. One particular verse here is Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, says to strive for peace with everyone. Here's what he's saying. Having healthy relationships is gonna take a lot of work. Amen? Because they're involved and you're involved. Those are the two variables that make the relationships hard. I always say this when I'm officiating a wedding. I have the, the, the bride and the groom face each other. I say, there's only two problems with this relationship, him and her. Right, those are the only two problems in this. They're, they're both going to need to what? To work on this relationship. They're gonna need to strive. It's gonna take some time, money, energy, investment. Strive for peace, not perfection, but peace. Right, until we get before Jesus, we won't have a perfect relationship, but until we get there, Jesus could give us a peaceful relationship. Peace with whom? Everyone, does that include the, the bad people who did you wrong? Yeah, you weren't very enthusiastic, but that is the right answer, yes. <laughs> Everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That concept of grace is that Jesus paid the price for us to receive the gift of forgiveness. That no root of bitterness. How many of you have realized that unless you pull the root, eventually the weed takes over the whole garden? Bitterness in a life is like a weed in a garden or cancer in a body. Either you kill it or it kills you. You get rid of all of it or it comes back with a vengeance. And no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it, many become defiled or unclean. We dealt with this last week. What he's saying here is that when you become bitter, eventually you get everybody else involved. So I wanna hit what Forgiveness is and is not. I'll hit 10 things that forgiveness is, eight things that forgiveness is not. For you copious note takers, just a little secret, I put my notes every week, the 
the thorough notes at markdriscoll.org and you can just download them and save yourself carpal tunnel. I talk for a long time, I move very fast. And unless you're a court stenographer, you're not gonna get it all. I'll just tell you that right now. Number one, 10 things forgiveness is. Number one, it's the opposite of vengeance. Vengeance is you will pay. Forgiveness is I will pay. For some of you, when you forgive that financial debt, it's gonna cost you. When you don't make that person right their wrong, it's gonna cost you. When you let it go, it's going to cost you. We use this language of vengeance and we have certain statements. I need to get what? Even, that's vengeance, it's a debt. And they're in debt to me, so I need to get the ledger up by punishing them. I need to settle the score. I need to make them pay. They're going to pay me back. These are statements of vengeance. What vengeance is, I judge you, I pour out my wrath on you, I make you pay until I feel like we're even. The problem is that person oftentimes feels like they're not even and they've been overly punished. So then they respond with more punishment and now you get an escalation because neither side can agree that we're even. Furthermore, when we seek vengeance, we remove the opportunity. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We don't know exactly what they said or did. We don't know what was truly in their heart. We like to think we do, but we let God deal with them and all of it. It's the opposite of vengeance. And here's what I like to say. God creates Satan counterfeits. God creates forgiveness. What's Satan's counterfeit? Unforgiveness, it's vengeance. Number two, forgiveness allows you to shift your focus from the person who harmed you to the person who heals you. What can happen is if someone hurts you and you haven't forgiven them, they are between you and God. You're always thinking about them and responding to them and fearful of them or angry of them or defined by them. And as a result of your devotion to the one who has hurt you, you are neglecting the one who can heal you. By forgiving them, you're setting them off to the side so that you can be healed by Jesus Christ in that relationship. Some of you spend too much time thinking about your enemies and not enough time thinking about your savior. And we just live in a world that feeds bitterness and vengeance and anger. I'll just tell you, it makes vengeance, bitterness, unforgiveness, it makes a great Liam Neeson movie and a bad Thanksgiving with the family, amen? Number three, Forgiveness is both a one-time event and an ongoing process. They came to Jesus and they're like, okay, forgive? Did we get this right? We gotta forgive them? Oh gosh, we're afraid that's what you said. Okay, how many times do we gotta forgive them? Like two, three? What does Jesus say? 70 times seven. You know what that is? That's a lifestyle that's ongoing. You forgive in a moment and over time through a process, it's a both hand. It's a decision you can make today and it's a decision you may need to make on another day as well. Because sometimes someone does something, we forgive it and what do they do? 
They do it again. That's called parenting. <sighs> right? <laughs> or we forgave them and we've moved on, but then one day something triggers us. You're like, oh, I'm thinking about it again. I had a weird nightmare. Well, I was probably demonic or boy, when I saw that person or saw this thing or something just triggered in me and I'm reliving it, I need to forgive it again. It's a one-time event and an ongoing process. Number four, forgiveness is passing the case to a higher court. You and I, when we feel hurt, we feel wounded, we feel taken advantage of or abused or sinned against, we want to immediately hold court. Who gets to sit in the judge seat? I do, because I'm the offended party. In our judicial system, we don't let the victim also be the judge because you would never get justice. God is the judge and you may be the victim, but just because you're the victim doesn't mean you get to be the judge. Jesus says in John five, the father uh, judges no one. He's entrusted all judgment to the son. So, you know, it's not judge Judy, it's judge Jesus. That's what I'm telling you, okay? So there is a throne and it is the judge's seat and they don't get to sit in it. You don't get to sit in it, Jesus sits in it. And what you are doing by not convening court and rendering a verdict, you are taking that case of your hurt and you are, you are sending it up to the higher court of Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, you judge it. You deal with me, you deal with them, you sort it all out. It's like in our court system, there's lower courts and higher courts and certain lower courts will just send the case up to the higher court. That's what you're doing when you forgive. Number five, when you forgive, forgiveness is taking the burden you cannot carry and handing it to Jesus who can. Let's say someone, they hurt you, they abuse you, they traumatize you, they abandon you, they betray you. That's a heavy weight. Some of you carry this weight. And then someone else does something and it adds to that weight. And the longer you live, the more burdened you are. You finally reach a point where you realize, I can't carry all of this. I can't fix all of this. I can't make sense of all of this. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all those that are beat up and beat down. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You'll find rest for your soul. The concept of a yoke is where one ox can only carry so much. You put two ox together, they multiply their strength. You yoke them together. Jesus says, you know what? I'm gonna have to carry this one for you. I'm here to help. When you forgive, you're transferring the burden, that weight of responsibility from you to Jesus and he can carry it. Otherwise it'll crush you. Number six, for all you control freaks, write this down. When you forgive, you give up the right to control the process or the outcome. You give up the right to control the process or the outcome. Some of you are like, well, I, it needs to go like this and then this needs to happen and this is the end that needs to occur. And in forgiving, you're saying, I don't control the process and I don't control the outcome, but I trust the one who does. You may not get your way but you need to seek God's way. It's where Jesus prays, even in the garden, right? Not my will, but your will be done. 
That's surrendering to the process and the outcome that God has chosen and relinquishing yourself of being in that position. Because ultimately what this is, these are counterfeit ways that we seek to take God's place. I'm the judge, I'm the executioner. Here, uh, this particular case would simply be you taking the position of sovereign authority, ruling over all the details and bringing your will to pass. In every occasion when we're hurt, we don't trust God. So we try and replace God so that we get what we think we need. And what we need is God and to trust God for the process and the outcome. Number seven, forgiving is making, but not keeping a record of wrongs. First Corinthians 13, Paul says that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. The person who is forgiving and unforgiving, they both have a list of wrongs. Here's all you said and did and how bad it hurt and what it cost. The difference is the forgiving person doesn't keep the record of wrong, the bitter person does. To forgive a debt, you need to total it up. That's making a record of wrongs. To forgive a debt means that you tear up the record of wrongs, the debt, and you move forward. This is where Grace and I will recommend people get with the Lord and they write processing letters. And okay, here's what they said, here's what they did, here's how I felt, and Jesus, I forgive this and this and this and this and this and this and this. I forgive them as you've forgiven me. And then it's burning or burying or shredding the record of wrongs, not keeping it. Number eight, forgiveness is boxing up your hurt and deciding where it lives in your life. Give you a little example. So I've got a house and I've got a garage. Okay, pray for me. My garage, I've got a dog, German Shepherd. If you wanna know what a German Shepherd is good at, shedding. That's their real contribution to the family, okay? So my garage looks like I murder dogs. That's what it looks like. There's just dog fur everywhere. And I have five kids, so there's furniture and there's boxes and my garage is a garage. In my garage, if you go into my garage, and please don't, because I love you and you'll think less of me if you see my garage, but in my garage, there are shelves and on the shelves are boxes and in the boxes are things that are part of my life, but they're not the center of my life. I don't look at them all the time. I don't, I don't have them on display. What bitter people do they make their abuse their coffee table. They make their divorce their dining room table. They make their adultery their marriage bed. They put it in their home right where they can see it and deal with it every day, it's on display. Forgiveness is, this is part of my life, but it's a part that I've forgiven, I boxed up and it's in the garage. And when people come over, that's not the focus of my life in this household. You get to decide where it lives. They may decide what pain you endure, but you decide where it lives. Number nine, forgiveness is opening the door for their repentance and the possibility of reconciliation. It takes one to forgive, one to repent, two to reconcile. So if you're the one who's in the wrong, you can repent, say my fault, my sin, no excuse, please forgive me, that's repentance. Forgiveness is Jesus died for it and I'm not gonna kill you. 
In doing your part, you are opening a greater opportunity for them to do their part. I'll prove it to you. If somebody says, it was my fault, I'm responsible, I have no excuse, please forgive me. True or false, that makes it easier to forgive them. It does. Or if they are the person that offended you, you say, I love you, I forgive you, I want good for you. Does that make it easier for them to repent? Yes. It doesn't guarantee, forgiveness doesn't guarantee repentance and reconciliation, but it leaves open the possibility. It's your way of extending your hand and saying, I, I would love if we could lock hands and reconcile, but, but, but you need to choose to do so, but my hand will remain outstretched. Number 10, forgiveness is choosing health for your body and soul. There's a, project at Stanford. It's the largest clinical study on forgiveness and unforgiveness from a psychological and medical perspective that I'm aware of in the history of our country. Uh, Dr. Luskin oversaw that project. I don't know whether or not he's a Christian, doesn't indicate that he is. But what they have found is that for people who have been hurt, wounded, broken, offended, used and abused, if in their own understanding of what forgiveness is, not even understanding the forgiveness that Jesus gives, if they just use whatever understanding of forgiveness they have and forgive their offender, tremendous medical benefits come to their body as a result of some unburdening in their soul. Some of you feel it in your stomach. Some of you have anxiety, some of you are physically suffering because of some hurt in your past. They have medically proven those who seek to forgive, blood pressure goes down, ulcers go down, heart attacks go down, medication goes down, surgery goes down, hospital stays go down because all of those things are connected to the pain. And when you forgive, you let it go down so that your life can rise up. That's true for those who aren't Christians and aren't forgiven. Imagine how tremendous the benefits would be to those who are forgiven by Jesus Christ. It's, see, what we think is if I forgive them, I'm going to bless them. Well, if you bless them, you're also blessing yourself. So, I was gonna save this for the end, but there are, there are three ways that we can look at something. When it's a win-win, we know it's the will of God. God loves you, God loves you, win-win. We know it's the flesh when it's win-lose. We know it's demonic when it's lose-lose. Yeah, I'm gonna kill myself, but I'll take you down. I will bankrupt myself, uh, but this divorce is going to be hell to pay for you. You know it's demonic when it's lose-lose. You know it's the flesh when it's win-win. Neither of those results in health. Only forgiveness does win-win. You're like, but if I forgive them, they'll be blessed. Yeah, but God is so good, he blesses you too. So if you wanna be blessed, bless those who curse you. Number eight, eight things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is number one, it's not minimizing or globalizing. Minimizing is making too little of it. Globalizing is making too much of it. It's underreacting and overreacting. 
something happens and it's a big deal. You're, oh, it's not a big deal. Yes, it is. Jesus died for it. It was that big. Other people globalize. All of a sudden, everything becomes apocalyptic, right? Like, oh, you lied to me. Satan is the father of lies. I married the devil. No, that's, that was fast. That was, you went there quick. Now that, that, that may be a bit of an overreaction. Okay. We tend to minimize and globalize. How many of you tend to minimize? How many of you tend to globalize? Forgiveness is not minimizing or globalizing. Number two, forgiveness is not the covering of a crime. There's a difference between that which is legal and that which is personal. You can give personal forgiveness and still have legal justice. In the case study I gave you at the beginning, uh, the brother on behalf of the family and the judge said there is forgiveness to you and now you go to prison because you committed a crime. So you can forgive someone and call the cops. If your boyfriend is beating you, you can forgive him, call the cops and fill out a restraining order. Forgiveness is ultimately a personal matter, not necessarily a legal matter. How about this one? Um, number three, forgiveness is not based on their repentance or an apology. I took over a year in the darkest season of our life to study forgiveness and unforgiveness. And I read lots of books, all perspectives, Christian and non, everything I could find. And the one book that horrified me most was Christian. And it's, it comes from a category called biblical or neuthetic counseling. Do I believe in biblical counseling? Yes. But I also know that just because you quote a verse doesn't mean it's biblical, Satan quotes verses too. So just because there's a verse doesn't mean that's the word of God, it may be misconstrued. In this book, one of the founders of the biblical counseling neuthetic movement literally taught, it was a book on forgiveness, that you can't forgive someone until they repent. I was like, I must've misread that. No, that's exactly what they said. And they gave case studies like, if my dad abused me and died, can I forgive him? Answer no, because he's not alive to repent. Oh, we have just made the demonic biblical. That's a counterfeit. How many of you know that they may never repent? How many of you, you don't even know who did it? So you don't even know who to forgive. Some of you, they've died and they're not gonna repent. Others of you, they're so dangerous. I don't want to get with them to hear their repentance. I just want a safe boundary. And what this false teaching, use that word strongly, but emphatically, what it teaches is you get to sit in the judgment seat. You get to decide that they need to repent. They need to then agree with you until they do. You pour out your wrath on them in the name of love because you are pushing and pressing them to repent. And then at the end, if you see the signs of repentance, you will reconcile and forgive. That's demonic. Here's the next one, because forgiveness is not needing to agree. How many of you have had this? 
um, what you said was this. They're like, that's not what I said. Well, you did this. No, that's not what I did. Well, you intended this. That's not what I meant. Have you ever disagreed with someone? We call this marriage, okay? <laughs> if the only way to forgive someone is that they agree with you, sometimes that just doesn't happen. And it's agreeing to disagree. And it's forgiving the disagreement. How about this one? It is not repentance or forgiveness rather is not completely forgetting. Jeremiah 31, 34, God says, I will forgive and their sin I will not remember anymore. So some people will take that and say, well, you know, if you've forgiven, you can never think of it again. God is omniscient. That means he's all knowing. What that means is there's nothing God doesn't know. God's not like you and me. You and I, we, we go to Walmart or Target, we park, we come out and we're like, where did I put my car? Right? God's not in heaven going, where's earth? Where did I put it? Right? I got, I got, there's so much out there. I can't remember where I put, God's not like that. When God forgives, it doesn't mean that he no longer has any recollection of it, but it doesn't live at the forefront of his mind and it's not between us in the relationship. So it may come back or you may remember it, but that doesn't mean necessarily that you haven't forgiven it. How about this one? Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is free in a moment. Trust is earned over time. Sometimes the most evil people will seek to use forgiveness for continued abuse. I'll give you a case study early in my pastoral ministry. I met with a woman, her father abused her repeatedly as a child. She got saved, forgave her dad, which was a miracle. And then grandpa wants to babysit her kids. What's the answer? No. She said, but if I've forgiven him, yeah, but you can't trust him. Forgiveness is free, trust is earned. They have zeroed out their trust account. There's a difference between forgiving someone and trusting them. Forgiveness also is usually not public, it's private. If it is public, it may be bitterness masquerading as forgiveness. You're on your laptop, you're like, well, Facebook, today as I was learning about forgiveness, I decided that my reprobate, perverted, sleeping with his girlfriend, husband needed forgiveness. So, you know, with all the love of Jesus in my heart, I am praying the imprecatory Psalms on him that he would be smitten, right? Um, amen. Oh, verse, I need a verse. Okay, verse. The fact that you put it on Facebook, means you've not forgiven them. You're like, I forgave them on Facebook. Then <laughs> it probably wasn't forgiveness. It was bitterness. Sometimes we'll even do this as a prayer request, right? Please pray for my sick spouse who's driving me crazy with their evil deeds. I mean, I've forgiven them. I just, I just want good for them. No, you don't. Oftentimes, when we make it public, it shows our bitterness. Social media provides ample opportunity to see this point. Furthermore, oftentimes they don't even need to know. It's between you and God. 
And lastly, your forgiveness is not God's forgiveness. You can forgive them and Jesus can send them to hell. Your forgiveness is not God's forgiveness. Made a few more questions. How about this one? Why should you forgive? Right? These are the questions that always come up. Why should I forgive? Ephesians 4, 32b. How many of you, when you're hurt, offended, wounded, you're like, yeah, I don't start there. That's not where I start. It's gonna take a supernatural miracle of the Holy Spirit to start there. Be kind. What's the Greek word for kind? Does it mean punch them in the throat? No, that's not what it means in the Greek. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. What? Forgiving one another is God in Christ forgave you. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. Forgiveness is not only a gift for you to open, but a gift for you to give. It's a gift that comes from Jesus through you. It says this in Colossians 3. We know this last week, put on, put off, just like we choose clothes, we need to choose lifestyle. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing or putting up with one another. We call that relationship. And if one has a complaint against another, what? Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Our entire sort of welcome track to the church is based on three things. God's work for you, in you, and through you. Here, what he's saying is forgiveness was something that Jesus Christ does for you in the past through his sinless life and his substitutionary death. Forgiveness is also something that God does in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You feel unburdened, you feel your shame lifted, you feel your condemnation removed, you feel your dirtiness made clean, it's a work in you, and then it's through you. It's God's work for you, in you, and through you. And that's ministry. And what he's saying here is take what Jesus did for you, what the Holy Spirit did in you, and give it to them as a gift to share. Some of you are like, I like the gift, but I don't like to share it. Why? Because they're my enemy. Question, when you got the gift, were you God's enemy? We give the gift to our enemies that God gave to us when we were his enemies. That gift is forgiveness. The next question that oftentimes comes up, and let me say this briefly too. The test of forgiveness is blessing. Jesus says, bless your enemies, bless those who persecute you, bless those who slander you. Somebody asks, well, how do I know if I've forgiven them? Can you bless them? You're like, no, I can't bless them. Well, then you need to forgive because the test of forgiveness is blessing. Sometimes it's literally just biting your tongue. They're talking and you get the nervous eye twitch and you're like, okay, this is where I tell them who they are. Amen, All right? Just, I blessed them by not blasting them. Okay, some of you should write that down. Sometimes it's, I'll pay the price. Sometimes I'm gonna let it go. Sometimes I'm just gonna pray for them. And you know that you're bitter when their life craters and you're happy. You're like, see, I knew it. (laughs) Satan's like, I got you. 
It's all part of the war. It's part of the spiritual war. Will you forgive? Will you bless? Because we worship a God who forgives and blesses and we have an enemy who does not forgive and curses. Next question that oftentimes comes up, what happens if you don't forgive? Now, some of you are at the point, you're like, I see what he's doing. He's trying to sell me on this forgiveness thing. I'm not sure I'm ready to buy. Why should I sign up for this lifestyle of forgiveness? Ephesians 4, the whole context is bitterness, forgiveness, unforgiveness. It says, be what? Angry. There's, there's a good and a bad application of anger. Our culture likes to say, there's toxic emotions. No, there's emotions that are used in godly and ungodly ways. God gets angry. And there are some things that we need to get angry about. Somebody abuses a child. If you're angry, congratulations, you share God's heart. So anger can be a sin, but it's not always a sin. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the emotion excuse the behavior that adds to the ungodliness. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Their day started at night. So, so it's talking about dragging yesterday into tomorrow. Give no opportunity to the, to the devil. When you're hurt, offended, wounded, abused, betrayed, you're vulnerable. Satan's like, they're in a very vulnerable place. Now's a good time to recruit them to join my team through bitterness and wrath. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who here, four things here. Number one, if you choose not to forgive, the first thing you're inviting is bitterness. We don't always use the word bitterness. We'll use unforgiveness, disappointment, woundedness, brokenness, holding a grudge, being offended, or just plain old hurt. I'm not bitter, I'm just hurt. Synonym. Synonym. And let me say this, you're most likely to be bitter, not because of the size of the offense, but your affection for the offender. The people you love and trust the most and bring most close to you, if they do a little thing, it's a big thing because though it's not a big deal, they're a big deal. Someone that you're not close to can do something even worse, but the effects are not as deep because they're not as close. This means if someone is very close and does something very evil, that is a profoundly deep wound to forgive. And again, it's a moment and a process. Number two, if you don't forgive, you will become emotionally unhealthy. One of our pastors, Jimmy Evans, he says, uh, today's anger is not a problem, yesterday's anger is a problem. If something happens and you don't deal with it, you take your anger and you carry it forth into your future. Today's anger is supposed to be dealt with today because if we take today's anger into tomorrow, we'll be emotionally unhealthy, have lots of conflict, and then we'll be more bitter. And this starts a whole cycle of victimization and woe is me-ism. And I am a person who gets to say and do whatever the heck I want because of everything I've been through and how emotional I am. And it's like, okay, that's a lot of days that are compounded together. Let's deal with today's hurt today, tomorrow's hurt tomorrow, 
the next day's hurt on the next day. Let's not let it avalanche every day. Number three, if you don't forgive, you're declaring war. This is literally spiritual warfare. When he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus says, the mouth speaks. And what we do, because we feel like we're at war with them, what happens in war? Troop buildup. Well, we're gonna go out and recruit and enlist a bunch of soldiers for our side. They're gonna go out and recruit and enlist a bunch of soldiers for their side. It's escalation, it's an arms race. Let me tell you who they are. Let me tell you what they've done. Oh, let me give you my side of the story. No, you should take offense and side with me against them. I hate to say it, some of you grew up in families like that. Mom and dad were not one. And as a result, there was division that led open opportunity for the demonic. This is where whole families get involved. Well, whose side are you on? Jesus, team forgiveness. Then they both shoot you. Like Jesus. How many of you, you can literally think of a war that's happening and there's pressure for you to join a side. There's two kinds of war. There's the hot war where we're yelling and screaming. And then there's the cold war where we're ignoring and abandoning. Sometimes it's the hot war, then the cold war. And what happens as well when there's war, there's unholy alliances. You're bitter, I'm bitter. Let's be bitter together. Let's be two barrels on a gun. The internet allows bitter people to find one another and form unholy alliances like no time in history. Never forget, years ago I was pastoring and there was just a couple of bitter people and guess what? They all found each other. Somebody asked me, they're like, that's crazy. They don't even go to the same service. Some at the time, they're not even the same campus. How did they meet? Because their demons know each other and introduce them. It's part of the war. Number four, you open yourself up, if you don't forgive, to demonic torment. The context of Ephesians 4 is don't grieve the Holy Spirit and don't give the devil a foothold. When you're hurt, you're either gonna invite the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirits. If you choose bitterness, you're choosing the unholy spirits and the result is you're opening yourself up to torment. You're giving the devil a foothold that becomes a stronghold, that becomes a chokehold, that becomes a death hold. That's where he's going. There's a story that Jesus tells in Matthew 18 that illustrates this concept of torment. And part of it is absolutely connected to the demonic. To summarize quickly, he tells the story that there's a guy who owes, let's say a million dollars, big debt. He can't pay, he's upside down. He's gonna be a slave as will his family members. So he goes to the man that he owes the million dollars to and says, please forgive my debt. And the man says, I will. Your debt is forgiven, I'll pay, not make you pay me back. Forgiveness, not vengeance. This guy's excited, best day ever. On his way home to tell the good news to his family, another guy approaches him who owes him, let's say a thousand bucks. And rather than forgiving that man, 
He says, you know what? I'm gonna make you pay. I'm gonna punish you. I'm gonna pour out wrath on you and vengeance on you. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. Jesus has forgiven you for a lot more than he's asking you to forgive them. Their debt is the thousand bucks. Your debt is the million bucks. Ultimately, Jesus says that the man who was forgiven but not forgiving will be sentenced to jail and tormented by the jailer. Tormented is the word that Jesus uses. The jailer, most commentaries believe, is Satan. If you don't forgive, you're inviting Satan to come torment you. Satan's like, well, if you're gonna make them pay, I'll make you pay. If there's vengeance for them, there'll be vengeance for you. And you need to see this when you're hurting because you're vulnerable to inviting the unholy spirits to come torment you rather than the Holy Spirit to heal you. That's why some of you can't stop thinking about it. That's why some of you can't stop talking about it. That's why some of you can't stop dreaming about it because you're being tormented. Forgive, invite the Holy Spirit. Just as truth casts out lies and light casts out darkness, so forgiveness casts out bitterness. Here's a couple types of bitter people. The archeologist, what does the archeologist do? Let's dig up the past. They're always, you're like, well, I thought we buried it. No, we're digging it up again. Remember seven years ago? Some of you even have the date. It's March 13th, 4 a.m. We're gonna dig it up. The case builder, I know you're evil. I just don't have the evidence, but I will find it. So I'm gonna interview people. What have they said and done? I'll stalk you on social media. I'll build my case so then I can convene court and I can convict you. The negative narrative reporter, mm, you're bad. Everything you say and do will be put back into the negative narrative, right? Well, I, I love you. You're just saying that so you can manipulate me. Well, I'd like us to have a good relationship. Yeah, you're, you're trying to take advantage of me. Okay, it's, there's no winning. Everything goes back into the negative narrative. There is the bridge burner. You hurt me, I set the bridge on fire. Eventually, I burned all the bridges. I live by myself on an island. There is the broken believer who has compounded pain. They get overly emotional because they got hurt here and they didn't heal. And so when this happens, it's complex hurt. It's compounded hurt. It's like their soul has a migraine and everything is amplified. And then there are those who take their bitterness and make it their identity. There's a gal named Naomi. Her name means sweet. In the book of Ruth, I preached some years ago, she changes her legal name to Mara, which means bitter. Imagine that, you go down to the you know, Department of Motor Vehicles, yeah, I need to change my uh, driver's license. What's your name? My name is Sweetheart. Oh, well, Sweetheart, what'd you like to change your name to? Bitter. <laughs> bitter, that's who I am now. She moved to another country. She had a foolish husband. She had ungodly sons, the sons die, the husbands die. She's flat broke, she's left in a foreign country and she's bitter and she wears it. Okay, we don't want you to wear it. We don't want you to wear it. They are responsible for their sin. You are responsible for your sin of bitterness. 
I'll, I'll say it another way. Just because they hurt you doesn't mean that sinning against them is something that you have the right to do. And being bitter is sinning against those who sin against you. It's returning evil for evil. Last couple questions. What happens if you do forgive? Little good news, here's the sales pitch, all right? Some of you are like, I can't forgive them. You can't, you're gonna need a miracle. His name is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30 through 31. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When you're hurting, the Holy Spirit is off to the side like, invite me in, invite me in, let me help, let me help. Okay, I wanna forgive them. Holy Spirit's like, okay, we can do this. Satan's on the other side, don't forgive them, don't forgive them, don't forgive them. That's where the battle is. That's where you need to choose to win your war. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God's got a great plan for you. Let how much bitterness? All. What about that person? What about that thing? All. It's like cancer. Get rid of it before it destroys you. And if you don't, here's the cycle. Wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. When you are hurting, you make a decision to either pull hell up into your life or invite heaven down into your life. The culture we live in will one day be gone forever. Eternally, there will only be two cultures, heaven and hell. Heaven is a culture of forgiveness. Hell is a culture of unforgiveness. Everyone in heaven will be forgiven because God does forgiveness. No one in hell will be forgiven. Satan and demons are never forgiven of anything and never forgiving of anyone. When you're hurt, you're making a decision. I'm pulling hell up or I'm inviting heaven down. That's what he's talking about with the ministry of the Holy Spirit who always descends on believers, he comes down. What does this look like? I'll give you a quick case study. Who's writing this? For those of you who know, Paul. Was he a good guy? Real bad, dangerous religious terrorist. We see him in Acts 7, overseeing a mob of angry men, going out to persecute, harm, harass, arrest, murder Christians. He's a terrorist. There's one occasion where all the angry men lay their cloaks at his feet because he's their leader and they go out to take rocks and throw them, stoning, putting to death a man named Stephen who was an early church leader. Now, just kind of get the picture of Stephen, a mob of men throwing rocks at him, right? He's, he's bleeding, he's, he's hurting, his bones are breaking, he's dying. And what does he pray? Father, don't hold this sin against them. Please forgive them. He's echoing Jesus from the cross. Who heard that? Paul did. He learned about the forgiveness of sin by his murderer forgiving him. Sometimes people don't know forgiveness and the only way to teach them is to forgive them and then let God deal with them. And sometimes God will save them and use them to preach a message of forgiveness because they've been forgiven much. The Bible then says, as Stephen was dying, 
the unseen realm opened up. He got to glimpse into heaven and he saw Jesus. Was Jesus sitting or standing in the vision? Standing. Every other image of Jesus ruling and reigning in his heavenly kingdom, he's seated. When your work is done, you sit down, right? Right now, there's a lot of people that aren't at church because they're at football. What happens when a guy takes a dead pig, crosses a chalk line? What happens? They get out of their seats and they cheer. If you will forgive today, Jesus will get out of his seat and cheer for you. The story of Stephen is the unseen realm opens up and as he's saying, I want them to be forgiven, Jesus gets off his throne and is like, good job, son, forgive them. That's what we do. We do forgiveness. Get out of the way. Let me deal with them. Let me heal you. Welcome home, good and faithful servant. Let me go get Saul. I'll blind him, knock him to the ground, get him converted. He'll go to jail. It's gonna stink for him, but he's gonna preach grace. It's all gonna work out in the end, amen? If you will choose to forgive them today, I want you to see Jesus jumping out of his seat. That's what he celebrates. Football teams count touchdowns. Basketball teams count three-point shots. Jesus counts forgiveness. He likes to see that score go up. So here's the question, the question. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to forgive? Who has God put in your heart this morning? Whose name is in your mind this morning? Who or what are you thinking about that you're a little troubled by or unsettled regarding? There's a great case study. I'll give it to you as a gift because I love you. There's a guy named Joseph. I preached his whole life here a few years ago. He's the last quarter of the book of Genesis. Big family, messed up family, probably like your family. He had a lot of brothers. He was the little brother. And his dad sinned against him by favoring him. If you favor a child, you set them up for pain. It's a sin. And then God gave him a vision where his brothers were all bowing down to him. He probably should have tucked this one in, kept it to himself, just to throw it out there. He told his brothers they weren't as excited as he was. So his father rebuked him for his God-given vision. His brothers grew jealous of him. They concocted a plan where they would take him away from the father. They would throw him in a pit. They sold him as a slave. They considered him dead. And they went to the funeral where their dad was grieving, thinking his son was dead when he was not. Joseph then went into Egypt. He's possibly the only believer. He gets a job as a slave. He does a really good job. He gets promoted in this guy's house named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him and tries to seduce him. And he says, I can't be unfaithful to God or my master. And he rejects the repeated attempted adultery. She then falsely accuses him of rape. He is convicted as a registered sex offender and sent to Egyptian jail. 
While he's there, he interprets a dream and he tells the guy, when you get out, remember me, help me get out. The dream comes true, the guy gets out and he forgets Joseph. Many, many, many years later, Joseph is an older man married with his own family, a famine hits. He is now second in command, ruling and reigning in Egypt, the longest standing empire in the history of the world to that day. It's a counterfeit of the kingdom of God. Pharaoh is the counterfeit God and the person at his right hand is called the son of God. Joseph is in the Jesus seat. He oversees this kingdom. His brothers come to get grain during a famine. They need him. If he's vengeful, he can use this to his advantage. He sees them, he recognizes them. They don't recognize him because he looks and sounds Egyptian. Joseph didn't forgive them in that moment. He had forgiven them years prior. So when he sees them, he has to excuse himself, go into another room to weep and to compose himself because he's not vengeful, but he is emotional. And he's hoping that they've changed, but he doesn't know if he can trust them. So he tests them before he trusts them. The great reveal in Genesis 50, he tells them, I'm your brother, Joseph. They are terrified thinking that he will seek vengeance against them. And he says in Genesis 50, 19, am I in the place of God? And the truth is he's sitting in the Jesus seat. He can act like a God and he can destroy them. He's forced with the decision. If I sit in this seat, do I treat them like Pharaoh or do I treat them like Jesus? He chooses to treat them like Jesus. He'd forgiven them previously. Then he says in Genesis 50, 20, what you meant for evil, God used for good in the saving of many lives. Here's what I would say. Name it, forgive it, use it. He named it, he forgave it, he used it. And then it says he spoke tenderly to them and he blessed them and he comforted them in their grief. There's a Chinese proverb that says, the person who seeks revenge should dig two graves. I don't want that for you because I love you. I want forgiveness and a win-win. I'll close with this. Then I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. I think uh, one of the best books I've ever read on forgiveness is by a man named R.T. Kendall. It's called Total Forgiveness. He went to Cambridge and got a PhD. He's a first-rate Bible scholar. Some months ago, I had the honor of meeting him. And so um, I ended up getting to go to his house and uh, spending half a day with him. And we just talked theology and Jesus and Bible. And he pointed out something on the Joseph story that I'd never heard, but I, I just feel inclined to share with you. Joseph literally went from a, a pit to a prison to a palace. Literally, he went from a pit to a prison to a palace. How did he who went so low go up so high? RT said this, he said, the deeper the forgiveness, the greater the anointing. Some of you need to have deep forgiveness, but God wants to use it to give you great anointing. Who do you need to forgive? 
What do you need to forgive? When will you forgive? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and forgive them right now. I want you to think of that name. I want you to see that face. I want you to remember that moment. And I'm going to ask you from your heart to repeat after me. God, thank you for the gift of forgiveness. Today, I choose to share this gift from Jesus. I forgive them from my heart. I pray your blessing on them. I invite invite your anointing on me. I believe it. I receive it. I share it in Jesus' name. Amen.